with that said, let's just jump into the Word of God together. Uh, we did part one last week um, due to the climate, the condition. It was very cold in here, so I, I kind of divided the sermon into part one. Now we have part two, and part two, we will look at the three aspects of prayer. Uh, with that said, turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. Can you please stand? Stand out of reverence to God's holy and righteous word. When you've arrived at the text, say word, word. Can I, can I read the whole context, right? We need the whole context. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, uh, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the devil in the evil day, sorry, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to the end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and as for me the word may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which i am an ambassador in chains that i may declare it boldly as i ought to speak this is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for who you are. God, we make much of you, Father, because you are a good God who gives good gifts to your children. You are kind and merciful, gracious. All of these attributes that we learn in Scripture, God, that we thank you for, we are so thankful for that. So God, teach us what we do not know. Make us what we are not and give us what we do not have. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty and precious name. God's people said, amen. The title for today's sermon is Prayer and the Armor of God, Part 2. Charles Spurgeon once stated, Prayer pulls the rope down below and the great bell rings above in ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell, for they pray languidly. By that he means there's no enthusiasm. Others give only an occasional jerk at the rope. But he who communicates with heaven in the, is the man who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continuously with all his might. What a powerful statement by Spurgeon and a great picture of the power of prayer. In this spiritual warfare that we are involved in, we, we learned last week of air superiority, that prayer is our secret weapon. And like Spurgeon said, we ought to hold that rope firmly 
and pull boldly and continuously. This is the beauty of prayer. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, we see a very important passage of Scripture, right? Paul has just mentioned of the uh, armor. He lists the six pieces of armor, and then he gets to prayer, which is our secret weapon. And I shared with you that John Bunyan called this section the all prayer, the all prayer. And the reason why is because of the word all mentioned four times in the text, four times in the text. And with that, we can find five aspects of prayer mentioned by Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. What are they? I shared with you last week the first two points. Our prayers must be spirit-led. What do you mean spirit-led, right? Spirit-led basically means spirit-empowered. Our prayers must be spirit-empowered, that we must trust the Holy Spirit, walk with the Holy Spirit, and He empowers our prayer. Now, I shared two supernatural things concerning prayer here, right? The first is the Spirit tells us what to pray for. The Spirit tells us what to pray for. Oftentimes, I find in our lives, our minds are on hold and our mouths are automatic in prayer. And this is a major issue. Our minds are on hold and our mouths are automatic in prayer. Spirit-empowered prayer is the opposite. Spirit-empowered prayer is that the Spirit engages our minds. We think deeply about the things of God. I love what John Bunyan stated here. He says, in prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. This is the power of Spirit-empowered prayer. He engages our minds and our hearts when we pray. Second, I shared with you the second spiritual or supernatural thing that happens is that the Spirit gives us power when we pray. This is, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. When you pray in the Spirit, He tells you what to pray for, and He gives you power. This is how you know that there is a Spirit-empowered prayer, right? And last week, we also observed the second aspect of prayer, which is our prayers must be continual. We must always have a posture of prayer before God. Now, this is not our physical posture and our tongues, but rather our hearts must always be bowed before God in prayer. We always must have a desire to thank God, to make much of God, to pray about the things of God. This morning, I want us to take a look at the three remaining aspects of all prayer. What are they? One, our prayers must be varied, different kinds of prayer. Two, our prayers must be persistent. We should not stop, but continue to pray like the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18. And three, our prayers must be intercessory. We must pray for others. We are called to pray for others. There's power in praying for others. With that said, look with me. And look at the first point. Our prayers must be varied. By varied, here, the Apostle Paul says that we must have all kinds of prayer. So what most people do is they look at prayer and they look at requests, as Paul says, like your request be made known. And he says here, prayer and request, they look at it as the same word here. 
but they are not in the original language, right? So, so request is a part of prayer, but prayer doesn't necessarily just involve just requests. Request here is supplication, but prayer is a wider term here that we can pray in all kinds of ways, not just with supplication. And here, I want to help you understand this with the acrostic acts. We've heard this before, right? A-C-T-S, right? We've probably heard this maybe in Awana. We've heard this somewhere else where, where A stands for adoration. We adore God. C stands for confession. We confess our sins. T stands for thanksgiving. We thank God for what he has given us. Thank God for who he is. And then uh, S stands for supplication, which is the request. We turn to God and we ask God for certain things. So, so if, we, if we notice this, Acts can help us understand of the prayer that Paul is talking about here. Varied prayer. How do I involve in varied prayer, right? One is to adore God. We adore God in our prayers. It's not just going to God. If, if, we, if we see a son who only goes to his father and he says, he announces, here I am, dad, and this is what I want, dad, and he walks away, immediately we would say to ourselves, this son does not have a relationship with his father. And in the same way for us, if we just go to God just by saying, here I am, God, this is what I want, God, and we walk away, it's ritual and it's not relationship, right? Ritual and not relationship. Prayer involves relationship. It involves us adoring God and making much of God. This is why Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. The word hallow means to honor. It means it's holy. So we make much of God when we pray. This is how we adore God, by making much of his name. You know, one of the clearest things about adoration, it shows how theological our prayers are. It really is. The deepest theological part of our prayer is when we make much of God. So I make much of God by saying, God, you are merciful. How do I know you are merciful? Not just from my practical life, but I know based on scripture, you are merciful. God, you are great. God, you are gracious. God, you are all of these things in my life. This is how we adore him. And it's by far the most theological part of our prayers. This is why you could tell, listen to someone pray, and you could tell what they believe about God. You can simply tell what they believe about God. And your prayers must be theological. What is theological? It's about Him. So adoration helps us see more about God. I love this. A Tory, Reuben A. Tory, this is what he says. He says that the most important part of prayer is making sure that we really are coming to God meeting with him and requesting of him those things we need. So, so how do you know you're coming to God? How do you know this? How do you know you're going to your daddy? Because you have a relationship with your dad. You have a relationship with your mom. You adore them. And when you go to them, you just don't announce, here I am, but you adore them. In the same way with our God, we adore him. 
How are you adoring God? You see him just as a genie. Give me something. The moment you're in trouble, God, give me this. God, rescue me. But man, you don't make much of this Savior. How are you making much of him? This is how we can have all kinds of prayers by adoring God. Secondly, we confess our sins before God. Confession allows us to be humble before God. It allows us to be humble before God. When you, when you confess your sins and you're very introspective and you're looking at who you are before this holy God, there's no condemnation coming closer Coming closer, this introspection I'm talking about, because a lot of us in our culture, we don't like to look inwardly. We want to blame everyone else for every problem in our lives. The reason why I'm not reading my Bible is because of my wife. The reason why I'm not doing reading my praying is because of my children. We want to blame everyone for our spiritual malady. But coming closer, and don't miss this, introspection for a Christian does not lead to condemnation, but it leads to conviction. So you're before God and you're saying, God, look at me. Look at me, God. And God says, okay, I'm looking, I'm looking. Here's the problem, here's the problem, here's the problem. And we leave God's presence with great joy. Why? Because now I want to change these things. So, so there is this sense of confession. And when you confess before God your sins, God then loves the humble. This is one of God's greatest traits. He loves when his people come to him humbly. Does. You know what I love about confession? Coming closer and write this down. Thinking about this aroma. I love things that smell good. Sean Snow smells good all the time. Everywhere Sean Snow goes, it's like you can smell his cologne. Like, Sean, you're bathing in this cologne. It smells awesome, but it's good. Thank you, Sean. So this, this, this sense of cologne or perfume is it, a good thing, right? It's a good thing. You like people to smell good, right? God loves his people to smell good. And, and one of the sweet aromas that God loves, he loves is confession and humility. So don't, don't miss this. Write this down. The aroma that God seeks from his children when they approach him is humility and confession adorns God's people with such aroma it does it does you know what confession does it allows people to be introspective in such a way that when we turn to god right we look inwardly don't miss this notice the direction we look inwardly so that we won't look down on others so that we can look up to god you get this you notice the direction we, we look inwardly, and by looking inwardly, I'm not looking down on others. I'm not being judgmental, but I'm looking to God for mercy and grace, and therefore I love others. This is the beauty here for us to confess. Confess our sins according to what Scripture says. Luke chapter 18 mentioned this great parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, and Jesus tells us exactly why he's given us this parable. Because some trust in themselves and they look down on others. So Jesus gives us this great parable of a Pharisee, a religious leader, who went up to pray to God and a tax collector, someone that people despise, went up to pray. The Pharisee prayed first. 
And the Pharisee in his prayer, what do we see? He was very, very prideful. He looked down on others. Lord, thank you that I fast more than twice a week. Thank you that I give more than 10% of my tithes. Thank you that I'm not like this extortioner, this tax collector, and other sinners puffing himself up. And yet the tax collector went up to pray and uttered one phrase, Lord, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but started beating on his chest. And Jesus said, which one do you think went home justified? By justified, which one do you think that God accepted? It was the tax collector. Why? Because of humility. And what adorned him with this humility was confession. Be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. What an amazing truth that we have here. So, so we, we understand to adore God, to confess our sins. And then we have thanksgiving. T, thanksgiving is the third kind of prayer, right? How, how do we do this? We, we thank God for everything that he has given us. This is a beautiful trait. We had, we had a, a member of the church that the children came. I don't want to mention the name because I don't want him to be embarrassed, but it's a good thing. It's a really good thing. And the child came to the house and hang out. And then he went home and he said to his mom, Mom, I feel bad that I didn't thank Miss Beth enough. I didn't thank Miss Beth enough. And, and mom said, did you, did you thank her one time? He's like, yeah. She's like, how many times did you thank her? I think about six to seven times maybe. I don't know. I don't know how long, how much. But I thanked her a lot. And she's like, well, that was enough. But he's like, I still feel bad. I didn't thank her enough. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a disposition that we should have for God. Right? We say, well, I, I thank God that, you know, I, I got up this morning and I'm, I'm fine. But did we thank him enough? Did we thank him enough? This is a disposition and attitude that we must have. Thanksgiving reveals the condition of our hearts. It does. It does. And it's so deeply connected to adoration. And when I adore God, I will thank him enough. I will. So deeply connected. And then finally, we have the last one, which is supplication. So to adore God, confession, thanksgiving, and now we have the sense of supplication, that we must come to God and give our requests before him, right? And this is what the Lord Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. So Jesus says, in your prayer life, ask God. We should ask God. So what do we do? We, we ask God to give us certain things. We ask God to heal us. We ask God to move in our lives. We ask God to help our family members, right? So asking is a good thing. But if all you do in your prayer life is just ask, but there is not adoring God, there is no thanking God, there is no confession, and there's a major problem. We need to have varied prayers. And this is what Paul means here. Take a look at the second point with me as well. Our prayers must be persistent. It must be persistent. Notice with me in verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supply, supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. The perseverance here 
is a sense of persistency. You know, what's amazing about Jesus in the gospel, he talks a lot about the church and the disciples being persistent in their prayer lives. Let me give you a perfect example of this. We, we have this main problem in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is going to pray. He takes his disciples with him, three of them, and he says to them, pray. Now, here is the scene. Jesus went along and he's praying. His prayer is so intense that he's sweating blood. But it's very persistent, praying the same thing. Not my will, but your will be done. So he goes, find his disciples, and what are they doing? Sleeping. He says to them, come on, guys, pray. It happens three times, and the third time, Jesus says to them, your flesh is weak, but your spirit is willing. What is Jesus saying here? There is no persistency. No persistency. And friends, when we approach prayer, we must be persistent. One author, William Garnell, he wrote this book titled, The Christian in Complete Armor. He spent 300 pages on just verses 18 through 19 on prayer. And in that, he shares a very important truth. He says, one of the things he, he suggests is that the devil will tell us that while prayer is good for other people, they are great, there are great prayer warriors. You don't have that gift, so let other people pray. The people who have the gift, let them pray. But perhaps you have been faced with this same lie by Satan, right? I don't have the gift of praying. I'll just turn to God only when I need something. But, but you know what? Other people have, they have the gift of praying. They pray all the time. They must have the gift. And God has given them the gift. Friends, when I search 1 Corinthians, there are many gifts. But prayer is not a part of the list. Prayer is not a gift. Prayer is a responsibility and an obligation, not a gift. You get it. Every single one of us must pray. Even lost people, man, when you go around them and, and they, you, they will ask you, they will ask you if they know you're, you're a Christian or especially if you're a pastor. They will say to me, man, you are closer to God than me. God will listen to your prayers more than God will listen to my prayers. I don't need to pray. You pray for me. And I always use this as a very evangelistic moment. You know what? No, you can pray. But first, turn your life away, turn your life from sin and trust in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can pray where God can hear you. There's nothing special about my prayers. You can pray the same way. And some of us Christians, we do the same thing. We want our Sunday school teachers to pray for us. We want our grandparents to pray for us, but we cannot pray for ourselves. No, we should pray persistently, persistently. And this is exactly what Jesus does throughout the scriptures, teaching his disciples on how to pray, how to cultivate this persistency in your prayer life. Jesus shares about the Sermon on the Mount, and he ends the Sermon on the Mount. Towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he shares about a very important principle, persistency in prayer. Well, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, he says, Ask, 
and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. I love the construction in Greek. Because here, what Jesus is doing is indicating an ascending intensity. Not just in Greek, but also in our English language. So first, he's saying to ask. Ask. It implies requesting assistance from someone because there's a conscious need. So I'm, I'm requesting from someone. Help. Then he uses the word seek. And seek here intensifies asking. Now, you're not just asking, but you're acting. Do you see how there is an ascending intensity here? You're, you're, you're now seeking. Not just asking, but I'm seeking. And then he goes from asking, seeking, to now you are knocking. This is the ascending intensity here. This is the persistency that Jesus wants us to understand in our prayer life. Don't just ask, but seek. Don't just seek, but knock. And in the original language, it's in the present tense. So you know how this is read in the original language? Keep asking. Keep seeking. And keep knocking. He do not stop. This is the persistency that God wants us to involve in our prayer life. So, so here are a few questions. Do we pray this way for spiritual work? Or do you just give up? I'm just praying for this guy. I, you know what, God, I'm tired. I don't have time. No, no, spiritual men and women, they keep asking. They, they are like Jacob who wrestled with the angel and says, God, I will not stop until you bless me. They pray for the salvation of the children over and over and over from the time they were conceived even as an adult. They pray. They don't stop. They don't stop. They pray for the spouse. They don't stop. They pray for the neighbors. They don't stop. They keep asking and asking and asking. This is the prayer life that we should have, friends. Notice with me the third and final point here. The third and final aspect is our prayers must be intercessory, which means that we must pray for others as well. Not just for yourself, but you pray for others. This is why Paul says to all the saints. Now stop. How in the world can we do this logically? How can we pray for all the saints? I mean, do we know all the saints? No. So here... The Apostle Paul is saying we can do this two separate ways. Generally, praying for all the saints. And if we're going to do this generally, praying for the saints in Africa, it's important to know what the saints in Africa are enduring, what they're going through. If we're going to pray for the saints in China, we need to understand that as well. What we used to do several years ago, which I, I really am believing and convicted to do this again, is we used to pray for all the Christians being persecuted around the world. And Joshua Project, um, they, they have a plethora of Christians being persecuted. And they'll give you information about that place, and they'll tell you the amount of Christians that are in that area, and they'll tell you exactly what they are facing. And I think it's important for us to bring that into our worship again. Because, because a lot of times we just focus on just praying for ourselves. And even so... 
specific prayers, which I'll get to, where we pray for other people in our congregation, which we should do that. But when Paul says for all the saints, there must be general prayers as well. Because we're in our little cocoon in America, in Thibodeau, and our little struggles and trials, yeah, they're still very important to us. I'm not undermining that. But when we learn about our brothers and sisters in Africa and China and Sudan, these people are being persecuted for serious things. It will cause us to realize, hey, what I'm going through is really not that big of a deal. This is what it does when we pray for all the saints. And we do this generally as well. Generally. And specifically, we pray for the saints in our local congregation. This is why I love Wednesday nights. Man, some of my greatest relationships in this local congregation is from Wednesday nights. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I guess I am trying to make you feel bad. If you want to get close to me, come on Wednesday nights, right? That's what I'm trying to say. But, but nevertheless, I, it, there, there is something amazing about that when we listen to one another and a brother says, hey, pray for me because I'm going through this. Pray for me to love my wife and my children. Pray for me because I'm being tempted when a brother confesses his sins and all the other brothers are around them and a sister confess her sins and all the other sisters surround and encourage, there is something beautiful about that. So I know, I have content as, uh, of, of how to pray and what to pray for my brothers and sisters. So Wednesday nights is a very incredible thing, but also knowing what other churches are going through and what us other brothers and sisters are going through to pray for them. That's intercessory prayer. It must be contained with a sense of a passion to pray for other Christians, right? Pray for other Christians. When you look at your prayer list, are there people on there that you're praying for? Or is it just you and your family? Are you praying for saints, the Christians? Are you praying generally for the Christians all around the world and Christians in this local congregation and beyond this local congregation? Are you praying? This is what Paul means here. Even so, that Paul asked them to pray for him specifically. Pray for me. To do what? To share the gospel boldly. Pray for your brothers and sisters in this local congregation to share the gospel. Pray for your elders, your pastors, to share the gospel, to live out the gospel. Pray for one another. And in closing, I love what John Piper mentioned in his book, Desiring God. In his book, Desiring God, John Piper says, unless I'm badly mistaken, one of the main reasons so many of God's children don't have a significant life of prayer is not so much that we don't want to, but that we don't plan to. If you want to take a four-week vacation, you don't just get up one summer morning and say, hey, Let's go today. You won't have anything ready. You won't know where to go. Nothing has been planned. But that is how many of us treat prayer. We get up day after day and realize that significant times of prayer should be a part of our life. But nothing's ever ready. We don't know where to go. Nothing has been planned. No time, no place, no procedure. And we all know that the opposite of planning is not a wonderful flow of deep, spontaneous experience in prayer. 
The opposite of planning is the rut. You don't plan a vacation, you will probably stay home and watch TV. The natural unplanned flow of spiritual life sinks to the lowest ebb of vitality. There is a race to be run and a fight to be fought. If you want renewal in your life of prayer, you must plan to see it. He is right. And I'm here to tell you, we want to help you plan. As a matter of fact, we are your agents. And we have created this wonderful plan for you to fast and pray in the month of February. Don't you love it? That we have that for you. Would you be a part of it? Will you be a part of it? Plan to pray. Plan to fast. Ask the Lord what you are to fast from. And spend time in the month of February praying and beyond. Right? Right? We just want to exercise your, 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 your sense of prayer for February. But the, the whole point is, is that you continue to use this muscle. Continue to use it. Continue to meet and pray. Continue to pray these things. Join me as we pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for who you are and what you're doing. We thank you for the power of prayer and that it's not a gift. It is an obligation, a responsibility that every single one of us Christians are called to pray. So when Satan tells us that other people are gifted in prayer than we are. Other people can pray better than we can. And let's remind him this is a responsibility and an obligation of a Christian. We all ought to pray. We all are his children if we have turned from our sins and trust in Jesus Christ. If we are Christians and believers, we are his children. And we ought to communicate with our great God. Cause us to be disciplined in prayer. In your mighty and precious name, amen and amen.